I'm going to read Psalm 121 from the King James Version of the Bible. I make no apologies, but this is how I first heard this psalm, and it's, it means a lot to me. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I don't make any claim to be a Bible scholar, and what I read in the Bible I believe. Um, but like many people, I don't understand a lot of it, and that's why we rely on people like Tim to help us to understand a bit more. Anyway, it does for me. Um, this, this psalm, um, it doesn't have a special date or a time when I first heard it. I don't remember, but from what I can remember, I can always remember knowing it or knowing of it. So I must have heard it as a child in the King James Version, and I just think it's such a beautiful psalm. And the, it's like a poem, and I just think it's a lovely poem. Um, apparently it's a pilgrim psalm. I'm not quite sure what this is. Um, there's David's psalms and there's other psalms, and this is a pilgrim one, an instru- instruction on how to live our lives. But to me, um, I, it just comes back to me time and time again and reminds me that God, Almighty God, cares about me, and he cares about me when I'm awake, when I'm asleep, when I'm feeling happy, when I'm feeling sad. Whatever situation I'm in, he's there and he cares for me. Just for, just to make it a bit more interesting, um, I've actually got the the message, which I'm sure you know, the Bible version, the message, and I'm sure a lot of people read this. But I just read this psalm in in the message, and I want to read it and just read a little bit about the comment commentary that's made at the end of it. It's a little bit different, but it obviously means the same. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep, not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, shielding you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. And the comment that, um, I think it's Eugene Peterson that wrote this, he says that Psalm 121 is a quiet voice, gently telling us that we are perhaps wrong in the way we're going about our Christian life. Then very simply, it shows us the right way. The psalm is like a neighbour coming over and telling us that we're doing things the wrong way, 
looking in the wrong places for help. And so Psalm 121 rejects a worship of nature, a religion of the stars and flowers, a religion that makes the best of what it finds on the hills. Instead, it looks to the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Help comes from the creator, not from the creation. We live not in an impersonal universe, but a universe that is ruled and cared for by a personal God, a God who cares nothing in that universe as much as he cares for us. My favourite reading comes from 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. And it's entitled, Confirming One's Calling and Direction. And that's something we all need, isn't it? A bit of calling and a lot of direction. That's my experience of life anyway. So Peter says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Connoisseurs of tea drinking will tell you that if you want to make a proper cup of tea, it has to be made with tea leaves, not tea bags, because they use the rubbish on the floor to put in tea bags. You need proper tea leaves. And before you get to doing anything with the tea itself, there is a rigorous process to be followed. The teapot must be warmed with a small quantity of boiling water, swilled around inside until the pot is uniformly warm to the touch. You throw that water away, and then you put the requisite amount of tea in the pot, and then when the water in the kettle is boiling again, you take the pot to the kettle, fill it with boiling water, put the lid on the pot, cover it with a tea cosy, let it stand for a few minutes to brew, Only then do you pour a little bit of milk into a cup only made of the finest English bone china and add the tea from the pot to make the best cup of tea in the world. It takes time and effort and attention to detail. How many people make their tea that way here tonight? Yes, some of you. I'm impressed. That's good. For me, it's tea bag in a cup and a quick stir around with a spoon because we live in an instant world. Time is short, so generally speaking, most of us, given a choice between speed and quality, we tend to opt for speed. 
These days, we get impatient waiting just a few seconds for a web page to download. Quick and easy. That's how we want it. But it's not how God works. He wants us to have life and godliness. He wants us to share and participate in his divine nature. He wants to welcome us into his eternal kingdom. That's why he chose us. That's why he called us. But he doesn't give us life and godliness. He's promised it, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, and his divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness, but he doesn't give us life and godliness on a plate and say, here you are. He gives us all the resources we need to attain life and godliness. But to get there takes time, effort, and attention to detail. We can attain life and godliness because his divine power enables us to do so. But it's not instant. It's not quick. It's not easy. Peter makes it clear that putting our faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean to say we've arrived spiritually. It's just the first step, actually. You need to work at supplementing that faith with goodness and then Build on that with knowledge and then add in self-control, followed by perseverance. Next comes godliness, followed by brotherly kindness, and then finally love. Love comes at the end because love actually is the divine nature. And throughout our lives we're called to concentrate on developing these virtues so that they become part and parcel of who we are. So that we become people whose lives are characterised by faith and goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Paul has a list of nine fruits of the Spirit. Peter has a list of eight virtues. There's three which are common to both lists. Let's unpack Peter's list a little bit. Faith. Faith is trust in Jesus Christ. Using what you know about him to put your trust in him as Lord and Saviour. He forgives you whatever lies in the past. He keeps you for eternal life in the future. He gives you the resources you need to live effectively for him every day until you see his glory and his goodness with your own two eyes. Faith comes first. Second comes goodness. Virtue or moral excellence might be a better translation. Virtue is the capacity in any situation to discern what the morally right thing to do is. And then having discerned it, to do it. The virtuous person doesn't follow a set of rules, but rather is guided by the inner quality of virtue to make the right decisions in any and every situation. Virtuous people see and recognise the good and follow it with an instinct that's been honed by a lifetime of making right choices. A life of faith finds expression in a lifestyle of virtue. Then after virtue comes knowledge, or, or maybe we might translate it wisdom. There's nothing superficial about the wise person. What you see on the surface, what you encounter in church on a Sunday is no shallow veneer. You scratch the surface and you find the same person all the way down to the core. 
24-7. Because they're in, in their engagement with the world, they're not concerned with outward appearances. All the time they are drawing on the depths of wisdom that enable them to influence the world around them for the better. They're not shaped by the world, they shape the world. Because the wisdom that God instills in their hearts and minds. The wise person doesn't only know what is the right thing to do in any situation, they also know why it is the right thing to do. They've thought it through, know where they stand, know who they are, know how they should live. Next comes self-control or self-mastery, one of the most sought-after virtues of the ancient world. When negative emotions get out of control, the results can be disastrous and destructive, both to ourselves and to other people. Fear, anger, anxiety, depression, greed, lust, pride, laziness, a sense of inadequacy, all these things diminish us as people and cause us to harm those around us. The self-controlled person may feel such things, but the self-controlled person does not act on the basis of such feelings. Negative thoughts and feelings are recognised for what they are, but they are not allowed to dominate or take over. The self-controlled person acts with a consistency in any and every situation because faith, virtue and wisdom are all combined and supported with a rigorous self-discipline. Someone who is in charge of who they are, what they feel, what they think, and how they do. And then with these qualities comes perseverance. That's the, that's the virtue that comes to mind, looking at that video that Ray showed us a moment or two ago. The ability to see things through to the very end, even in the midst of adversity. It's staying power. It's determination. It's the quality of a completer finisher. Endurance is tough. It's one thing to exert yourself intensively over a short period of time, but it's another thing to keep going for hour after hour, day after day, weeks, months, years. That's the test. Respect to those in this room who have been Christians for decades. You've shown endurance, often through very difficult and trying circumstances. God wants people who are set for the long haul. He doesn't want us to be like fireworks that appear with a flash, make a lot of noise and then burn out in no time. It's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. Then comes godliness, a devout reverence for God. It's linked to steadfastness and endurance because it's the quality of being devout that gives people the strength to hold on to their faith in the face of persecution or suffering. I keep going because God is the most important thing in my life. And nothing else matters as much. Without godliness, life isn't worth living. That's the quality of godliness. Gives people the resources to stand by their faith and their principles, even when it costs them dearly to do so. 
Devout godliness is putting God first, no matter what. And knowing that when it it comes to faith, there are some things on which you will not compromise. And in some parts of the world, godliness means persecution. Can sometimes even cost you your life. But it's there in Peter's list of virtues. And he's the man who was very reminded us, denied Jesus, was restored, and ended up giving his life for Christ at the end. That's followed by brotherly love. Seems a bit commonplace, but it's there as one of the higher virtues. It's about putting others before yourself. Being the kind of person on whom other people can depend. Someone who'll be there when needed. Someone who is available and supportive. Someone who cares about other people. Why is this virtue so far down the list when it is apparently so commonplace, so ordinary? Quite simply, because people matter. People matter. It's not about me and my agenda and how well I'm doing and my own personal salvation and my hopes and dreams and ambitions. I am surrounded by other people who are as every bit as important to God as I am. That is why brotherly affection, mutual concern, that being there for other people is is key if we're going to follow Christ. It is quite wrong for me to be so concerned about myself that I live my life with a disregard for other people. We are called to be genuinely altruistic. To play an active part in building the network of relationships that ensures that everybody belongs. Everybody is cared for. Everybody is supported. Because it's not a matter of me getting to the finishing line. It's a matter of all of us getting to the finishing line. And doing so together. And supporting each other along the way. That's why brotherly kindness is so important. And then finally, perhaps closely allied to brotherly affection, comes love. But love comes at the end because love is the divine nature, because God is love. That is the the pinnacle of the virtues, the most you can ever aspire to. The love that sent Jesus to the cross for us. The love that was personified in Jesus, who is our role model. And to some extent it is the odd one out in the list of virtues. Exhortations to virtue are common in the ancient world. And Peter clearly expects those who follow Jesus to display the great virtues of goodness and wisdom and self-mastery, endurance, reverence for God and altruism. Faith and love. Perhaps the distinctive Christian virtues qualities. But they're first and last on the list. Everything stems from faith, faith in Christ. Everything finds its goal in love, the divine nature. But Christians aren't just people of faith and people of love. We're called to be people who have all these other virtues as well that makes us actually worthy of respect if we live our lives out in practice. And these qualities need to be nurtured and developed and worked on. 
They are qualities that God wants to see grow in us as we make our way towards the ultimate destination of sharing completely in the divine nature and attaining eternal life. And God's power is there to enable us to develop these qualities. It's not a matter of our own moral strength, our own hard work, our own ability. Without God's power, we wouldn't get anywhere. But because God's power is there, that inspires us to have a go and that enables us actually to put these qualities in place. And Peter says developing these qualities will help ensure that we do ultimately arrive at our destination. That we don't end up among those who used to go to church once a long time ago, but for whatever reason we lost the path. All the time, we need to stay focused in living our lives for Christ and developing the qualities in our life he wants to see there. God has chosen us. God has called us. God has given us all the resources we need to get to our journey's end. But to to ensure that we actually do make it, we need to work at building these qualities into our character so that they become part of who we are. And when that happens, as Peter says, that will make sure that we arrive at our destination and that we lead productive and worthwhile lives along the way. He says, if you, if you supplement faith with virtue and all these other gifts, at the end, he says, God will add to you a welcome in his, into his eternal kingdom. That's his grace. The final crowning thing is when we come to share in the divine nature, God says, welcome into my kingdom. You've made it. If we possess these qualities in ever-increasing measure, Peter says, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of Christ. Having these qualities means that when you appear before Christ, you won't come empty-handed and ashamed. But you'll be able to look back on a life that, by God's grace has been fruitful and productive in his service. That's what Christ wants for us. It's what he enables us to attain. But the knowledge of Christ is crucial. Though we're called to make every effort to develop these virtues, it is the knowledge of God that makes their development possible. Peter says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. And then later he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of God is what it's all about. Knowing Jesus is the key which unlocks everything else. Knowing Jesus means that God himself inculcates these virtues within us by his Spirit. We do not, we cannot do this in our own strength or on the inadequate basis of our own moral resources. God calls us into a relationship with himself. He's made himself known to us in Christ. He wants us to build on that knowledge and make it the centre of our lives. Developing and maintaining that relationship with God is crucial. God has given us all we need for life and godliness. But we don't come to participate in the divine nature 
simply by believing in him. It is a daily, lifelong journey in which our relationship with God is built upon and developed by a diet of prayer, Bible reading and worship and church attendance and service and asking God to fill us with this spirit and create within us the character of his son. The more you know God, the more you become the virtuous person God calls and wants you to be and enables you to become. Place him at the centre. Make him the goal. Make him your aim. Don't take your eyes off of him. It's a lifetime of running the race, keeping the faith, doing his will. Like making the perfect cup of tea, it takes time and effort. There are no shortcuts. But make no mistake, the end is definitely worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we can't see the path ahead. But thank you that you have equipped us with all that we need to walk it. We don't know how long our lives will be. But thank you for calling us and laying claim to our lives. Thank you for giving us everything we need to live a life of godliness. Thank you for calling us to eternal life. Thank you for calling us to share in your nature. Inspire us, Lord, with what you want us to become. Forgive us if ever we think that we've arrived. There is so much more work to be done on our lives and our characters. But thank you that you're patient. That you never give up working on us. You never give up calling us. You never stop supplying your grace and your love and your power. Lord, renew those who are weary. Encourage those who just feel like giving up sometimes. Strengthen those who are exhausted. Enable those who who are wavering to come to a place of security in your love for them and their knowledge of you. Lord, you want us all to reach the finishing line. You want to welcome us into your kingdom. Lord, we, we need your grace. Thank you that you make it available to us. Give us the desire, the will, and the ability to keep walking with you every day until we see your glory and your goodness with our own eyes. Amen.